Hey, welcome to the Art Condition Podcast, a weekly show that will discuss the business, community, and often undiscussed stress and mental health concerns of being a professional artist or even a serious hobbyist. I'm Joby. I've been in the tattoo and illustration professions for 25 years. My co-host is Moose, a data analyst, social media manager, and art agent. If you enjoy the content, please consider visiting the Patreon page and the show notes to help support the effort. Or if that's not an option, please like, subscribe, leave a good review, or just share with your friends. And definitely go visit the links of our guests on this episode. Thanks for listening and have a great day. This week, we are talking to Beth Johnson. Beth is an artist who has chosen to take the path of teacher and mentor. We talked to her about her passion to nurture young minds and help keep the creative spirit alive during a time when young people will feel powerful external forces pressing on them. High school. We discussed the relationship between students and teachers and what each can do to maximize the positive outcomes in the relationship. Having been in each role at various times in her life, Beth brings a valuable insight for anyone who finds themselves in either. And lastly, we talk about the temptations that teaching can have for the ego and how to avoid becoming overzealous when given the opportunity to shape impressionable minds. This episode is a bit more philosophical than hard business, but it's a great episode to take time and reflect on our mindset and worldview, and I think you will find it to be a warm light of encouragement. So without further delay, here's our talk with Beth Johnson. Hello, Beth. Hi. Hi. Can can we get can we get one more that's just like super fucking epic? Like, Hi, yeah. Joby. I'm so glad to be here. Hi, welcome, welcome, welcoming myself. Good <laughs> lord, I'm here. I would like to welcome myself to this podcast. Um, all of you can make join me. But seriously, thank you so much, Beth, for being here. Um, I've been looking forward to this. Uh, it's going to be awesome. And let's get right to it. Tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your background, how you got into art, and what wrapped you up in the rope and tied you to the tree forever. Oh, God, uh, that's a that's a big question. Well, I mean, what really got me into it is just being able to pick up a pencil and and draw. I've been drawing ever since I could do that. Um, I don't, I didn't initially start off with any sort of lessons or anything like that. It was just a bunch of just self-taught stuff, looking at art books and watching TV shows that were about art and, and whatnot. Um, and I didn't really start taking any classes for art until um, high school because I had to. Um, but fortunately, uh, I ended up with a very, very good uh, art teacher. Uh, she was very invested uh, in seeing that the students, um, you know, loved art. Um, and not necessarily loved art, but didn't hate things by the time they were done uh, in her class. Um, so that, that's really, like, it. As far as, like, my background, like, I do have, like you know, some, some art school under the belt. Um, I do have an associates. I am working towards um, a BFA with a early childhood through 12th grade certification. So I can teach art uh, in a public school setting. Um, but yeah, other than that, like, I don't know, I just like to do this stuff for fun. Uh, so. 
So um, knowing that you know you want to get into teaching and you've had uh, some formal art training, art education in the past, um, studying art in college, tell us what that was like. Tell us about that experience. Oh, Lord. Um, see, my experience with taking art classes is... is largely different than a lot of people's that, I, that I've heard of, because I, I, I don't know, I just approach things a little differently when I go to school. Um, and I don't, I don't tend to take things so personally, um, in regards to like critiques or how the teachers handle things. But I was fortunate enough to have, um, some very good art teachers who, were very invested in seeing that I furthered whatever career I wanted to uh, in art. Um, so I always had teachers that were very encouraging. Um, they didn't want to do that whole cookie cutter thing and like do things the way I do, you know, and it, you know, if you don't do it my way, it's the wrong way sort of thing. Um, so that was largely my experience um, and has been uh, for the majority of the time um, that I've been taking, you know, classes so so in you know the the art world or uh certainly in i think in the circles that you and i have in common there's the, the question often comes up you know like should i go to art school or not um so i would to you i would phrase it a little bit differently if somebody was thinking about that question like what would what should be their considerations as far as like you know would should i go to art school or should i not like what what are some like guidelines that people can use to answer that question for themselves before just taking it on the word of other people oh gosh um so i would say consider what you want your career to be uh in art um that's going to be really your biggest key thing um so for me i wanted to teach art well unfortunately unless i have that little piece of paper that says i'm capable of teaching even though i've been teaching for years um you know i'm not gonna be able to find a career uh doing that so definitely career is you know you're gonna be your biggest thing. If you want to just go, just to go, I say go for it. Just understand that you're going to, you know, you're going to be spending a lot of money just to learn how to do art when you can definitely go onto the internet and find a wealth of resources um, available to you. So there's, there's pluses and minuses to it. Um, but I would say if you're just interested in learning how to do art, um, don't don't go. Um, but definitely like if you're wanting to do something, I don't know, like teaching or graphic design or character design or any, anything like that, any sort of big industry sort of art jobs, uh, then definitely you're going to want to consider uh, going to school for that. The school is, uh, the degree is required to teach in a school, like in a university, in a uh, high school, in an elementary school. Uh, but it's not required to teach like for tutorials on Gumroad, which are like very, uh, I want to say, I want to say lucrative, but I don't know if there's a better word for that. Uh, do you have any thoughts on balancing the idea of teaching in school versus teaching on a Gumroad or a, a Patreon? I mean, it, it really is just going to kind of depend on where you want to teach and what your target audience is for what you want to teach. I, myself, I remember the kind of impact that my art teachers had on me and 
I wanted to be in this sort of setting where I could do that. That's not to say that you can't have that sort of impact on Gumroad or Patreon or anything like that. You can, um, but I feel like it's a little less personal. And even even then, that's just that's not to say that you can't develop a rapport sort of relationship with um, the folks that follow along and, and learn from you on sites like that. But I really wanted to have that sort of meaningful connection um, with kids um, because it's it's so crucial during that stage of their lives to be able to have somebody that's kind of in their corner rooting for them, even if they don't think you know much of themselves. Um, so really, it's you know that's that's about out for that. I forget what it is, but there's some number of people in your life that you can actually remember who they are and anything about them. So if you are to like blow up and uh, have a hundred thousand uh, people that buy your tutorials, they're just going to be names or usernames to you. They're not going to be a person. But if you're doing in-person uh, learning, assuming the class sizes are manageable, you can actually put a, a, a face to a name and a personality to that and actually help them one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like I said, it, it really just it came down to like being a personal thing. Now I do sort of, uh, like Twitch for that sort of, um, you know, platform uh, as far as like being able to teach uh, because there is a huge opportunity to teach there. Uh, and there have been plenty of moments where people have come into my streams and they've been like, well, how do I do X, Y, Z? And I'm able to utilize that platform to do that. Um, it's, it's very much a teaching sort of platform as well as a social um, sort of thing as well. So um and, and with that, like, because I have such a small community, um, you know, I am able to build that sort of rapport uh, with the folks that come into my stream. I've made many good friends, many very, very dear close friends because of, of Twitch. So, but, you know, I'm not looking to necessarily teach in a high school setting to, to make friends, obviously. Like, I'm looking to teach and encourage and inspire kids uh, to want to do art. Um, so... Yeah, that's that's the part that is hard to recreate in a Gumroad or you know another type of tutorial. I, certainly, there have been tutorials that I've um, followed along with online that have completely changed my perspective from a technical standpoint. But that personal connection is definitely just as valuable. And yeah, that's 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 harder to recreate. And but I I think that the two can work together. You know, like if it is online stuff. Um, that you're following along with or using to guide your education. Um, I think it's critical to be in a community of peers like, you know, Twitch or, you know, Discord channels or whatever, something that can give you that and supplement that, um, that social aspect of it. Um, so when you were in a formal education setting, um, or since your formal education setting, um, what have you, what have, what, what have you learned that you wish that you would have learned in your formal education setting? Mm -hmm. What have I learned that I wish I would have learned in my formal education? Yeah, I guess setting? a better way of asking that question is like, what do you, like, what do you think, um, you know, your experience of uh, learning art in school missed? Like, what do you think they, they could have done? Honestly, like, I don't, 
I can't answer that question very well because I don't feel like they really missed anything thus far. I'm not saying that that won't happen, but I feel like with the teachers that I've had and the classes I've been able to take, um, they really have kind of touched on everything that I feel like would have needed to be touched on in those classes uh, from learning different techniques to encouraging, um, you know, the students to do their own thing. Um, I've been, like I said, I've been very fortunate enough to have good teachers that did everything that I felt like they were supposed to do. So I don't feel like I can answer that question very accurately, unfortunately. No, that's, that's fair. It's not unfortunate. I hit it's as I think about, as I think about it after I ask it, it's a bit of a loaded question simply because so much of you know, the um, feedback that I hear from people that like went to art school or studied art um, has some negative connotation to it. You know, like they'll, I, it's, or it's like often heard like, oh, this is, you know, something that I've learned since then that I, oh, I wish they would have taught this or I wish they would have taught more of that. Um, so no, it's, I, I think it's not unfortunate. I think it's great to be able to hear that because I, think that it underscores that you know it's art in in a um in a time when i think that art school can kind of get like a bad rap or some people can have like very negative strong negative emotions and be very vocal about those strong negative emotions it's like it's cool to hear you know that like no it's, it can be different your experience can be good oh certainly it absolutely can be different it varies from person to person like you know, my experience is not going to be yours, not going to be anybody else's, you know, and I go into things with, you know, different sort of mindset anyways, like I'm, I'm here to learn. I'm not necessarily here to, I don't know, like, you know, I just kind of look at what, what am I going to take out of this class? Not necessarily like the instructor, even though the instructor is important, you know. So we do have a, qual uh, a question that relates to this. Um, since that your uh, education was you know, so uh, well, well received. Uh, what was the name of the college that you uh, attended? Well, uh, I started off at a local community college here. It's called College of the Mainland. So nothing real huge, not like an actual art school, uh, just a school that happened to have an art program. And then uh, I'm currently at University of Houston. Um, they have a fantastic art program. Um really just amazing instructors and um, just have made it a great experience so far. So having chosen to take this path of educator um, rather than uh, trying to make a living directly from the art itself, um, what is your, what has your professional life up until now been like? And, you know, what led you into pursuing art education? Like what led you to that transition? Oh Lord. Okay. So, uh, as soon as I got out of high school, I knew in high school that I wanted to be a teacher. Uh, and I wasn't quite sure what kind of teacher I wanted to be at first. I just knew I wanted to teach. Um, but as soon as I got done with high school, I started teaching pre-K uh, and I did that for about, Oh Lord, uh, 14 years, uh, before I left, and became an EMT <laughs> of all things. And, uh, you know, all through that time, like it was hit or miss that I would go to school because life happens and, and everything. Um, but there was always that desire to want to teach and, and especially 
you know, loving art, it just kind of was a natural thing. Like, well, duh, I love art and I like to teach or I want to teach. Um, so let's just, let's just do that. And lo and behold, the, the school that I'm well currently enrolled in, um, they have a fantastic um, art education program too. Uh, so it just kind of made sense to go that route. Um, so pretty much every decision I've made since then, uh, school-wise, has been towards that uh, sort of goal. Being in in a in a program that's going that's teaching you how to teach. <laughs> What's involved in that? How do you teach somebody how to teach? Oh gosh. Uh, so <laughs> it, that is so hard because I, I used to be a, a curriculum director and that is a really, really hard, hard job because when you get adults coming into school, for instance, uh, learning how to teach, you know, you've, you're already set in, in your ways. So in, in regards to learning how to teach, you have to have an open mind. But really, that's that's the same with like like any sort of profession, any skill, any any sort of class you go into. You have to go in to that class, to that program, whatever, willing to listen and take in whatever information they give you, and then turn that around and make it sort of your own. Um, so just a willingness to. Um, listen and be this lifelong learner because there's no one way uh, to teach. Um, there's there's many different ways to teach, and and my methods aren't necessarily going to be the same for you know the next person. So uh, I guess just having you know that willingness to learn, um, you know, you can learn all the all the theories and whatnot you want about teaching and about all the child psychology uh, behind it. But I think what's been really um, helpful uh, has been having that experience um, teaching pre-K for, you know, all the years that I have, um, you know, that real life experience is going to be really important too. And I know they, they have you do, um, you know, observations and student teaching and, and whatnot. Um, but it really doesn't, give you that sort of experience like enough as so much as like just diving in there and just actually doing it and figuring out like what methods we want to apply to our classroom and whatnot. So. Yeah. Shane in the chat was saying that education programs teach you all of the theory of teaching and none of the practice. And yeah, it's that practice part that seems like it could really only be hands-on. Um, or yeah, like hands-on experience that's really going to give you that understanding because you can't really teach somebody experiences <laughs> or, or teach somebody wisdom. But I'm wondering, like, is there like, you know, I think about in, in psychology, there's these different schools of psychology. I Don't ask me to name one off the top of my head. I'll totally butcher it, you know, like cognitive, behavioral, blood, yab, dab, dab. <laughs> Um, yeah, is there, you, is there you some, can ask me to do that stuff either. Is there something similar in teaching? Like, are there different sort of like schools of thought in terms of like what what makes good or yeah, like what types and theories of teaching there are? I mean, 
I I suppose so, but you know, like it, like I said, everybody has their sort of, you know, different ways and methods as far as like the teaching portion of, you know, school. I haven't had, honestly, I haven't had too much of that just, just yet. It's mostly been, um, you know, just, just the art portion. So, um, but as far as like my real world experience, um, yeah, there's, there's definitely, uh, different, different ways and everybody's got their sort of, you know, approaches, uh, to things. And you often find that like older teachers, and this is nothing against like, like older teachers and whatnot, but they, they have their, their ways, like children must line up and must do this thing and must, you know, it's very like regimented and whatnot and less about letting children like explore and play and learn through, you know, those tactile hands-on sort of experiences. So it's really just kind of depends on the person, I suppose. Um, you know, and I guess we'll find out as far as, um, you know, what they want to teach in school. I have had a, like a little bit, but I, I would say like not enough. And you've touched on this briefly before, but what kind of setting do you want to work in most as far as like an age group or? Oh gosh, I would love to teach in high school. Um, Cause I just remember that being a really, really hectic uh, part of my life uh, and just needing people in my corner. Um, and some of the people that, we're always in my corner. Uh, we're, we're several teachers that I had, and in particular, uh, the art teachers that I had. So that was a huge, um, you know, inspiration for me wanting to go uh, in that direction. And, and teaching in a high school setting, like, it's, like I said, it's just this crucial time where kids need people. They need people uh, very, very badly. Uh, you know, they're going through all sorts of hormonal changes and, and everything. So, you know, if I could be somebody that a kid could lean on just for a little while while they have me in that hour long or however long that class is, then I think that would be a, a good day's work. This feels like, um, like kind of the best combination of scenarios you know where you are you know part of people's lives teaching them art you know helping to like nurture and develop that part of it and then it's like you were just saying especially with kids who like you know really in the age group especially that you're talking about really can benefit the most from that but then you still have private art life you know like a place where you are just doing things for yourself so you're you know, like when you're working as a professional artist, it can become kind of a drag because then it's just like this is I, I'm I have to be creative, but I have to be creative in this very particular way. But then I don't know, like being it seems like there's some appeal in being an art teacher where you're like helping each other's creativity. And then you like still have like all of that creative energy left over for yourself because you don't have the. um expectations of clients to like you know create a, a particular kind of artwork i mean it's just the minds of kids what, what what's the worst that could happen oh i don't know you could teach them to change the world <laughs> yeah yeah do that God forbid
Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So was was this intentional? Like, did did you kind of have some of these things in mind when you're when you're thinking about teaching art? Oh, yeah. I mean, the the direction was always intentional, Um, really, because there's always that sort of fear in the back of your head um, of going into like freelance work, because that was something that I had considered as well. But there's always those times, those lulls in the in the work and that fear of, oh, my God, where is the income going to come from? Um, So the thought process there was, okay, well, why don't I do something that's still art related? So that way, when there is a lull in the work, because let's be fair, there will be a lull in the work. Um, there always is. Um, you know, I can still fall back on, all right, I'm still doing something meaningful uh, and art related and inspiring others to go and create art and, and do these things as well. So, yeah, definitely. It was extremely intentional. Just wanted to make sure I had that sort of, uh, you know, backup plan, really. I know we mentioned uh, Gumroad and uh, Patreon didn't have the one-on-one that uh, you were so interested in having, but have you considered, you know, just utilizing those platforms to generate the additional income during those lulls? Or was it always, I need to go into education straight up in school stuff? Um. So I hadn't really considered those things here until fairly recently, um, because when I started going to school, those those things were not an option. Um, you know, the Internet was still pretty much baby uh, at that point. So now, uh, yeah, that's definitely something I'm considering and, and definitely something that, um, you know, right now would probably be very beneficial given all the the life changes going on and and whatnot here. But um, yeah, that's definitely something that could be helpful. Just a matter of sitting down and doing it, I suppose. And having a background in education puts you as a leg up on everybody else that has just been doing the art and are now trying to figure out all the stuff on the fly of how you actually make something educational. There's a lot of uh, analysis paralysis going on where they're like, I need to set up all this stuff in advance and I don't know how to do that. And once I do that, then I have to do actually the speaking portion of it and recording of it in the video. And that seems overwhelming for a lot of people. They may have the knowledge, but they don't have the ability to set it up. Yeah, it can be a little overwhelming, especially if you're not used to doing that sort of thing. I still get like, Oh gosh, I still get overwhelmed. Like speaking to people even now beforehand i was like oh my god i'm having this this podcast with joby and moose but i'm like oh i know these guys it's not a big deal um you know but speaking of strangers that's a whole other thing so i can definitely see that sort of um concern uh there with others and i just i think so far as like recording videos and whatnot just you're just recording a video of yourself it's not like you're speaking live. Uh, it's not like you're on Twitch or anything like that, um, where you are live and are before a live audience. Um, it's a whole lot different. But I think that experience is definitely uh, very helpful. And, and I've always had a career where I had to be able to speak to people, even though that's something that absolutely terrifies me. So, you know, it, it's definitely helped. 
And I guess the more personal version of that would be like a, either offering courses online, like Justin Donaldson did, or um, one-on-one mentorships, which I believe Allie Briggs does, for example. And our uh, prior guest, uh, Paul Canavan, also offers mentorships. So his are way more advanced as far as like what level he wants people to starting with when he was working with them. Uh, I don't know how much, uh, I'm curious about how much, um, you know, parents would be interested in having uh, their kids put through up with a tutor basically is I guess the equivalent um, level there. Um, you know, I guess it's really going to depend on the parents. It's going to depend on the kids. Um, you know, if my kid comes to me and they say, you know, Hey mom, I, I want to do like art courses. Then yeah, I'm certainly going to look for those sorts of programs. Um, and look to see if there's any sort of like tutoring sort of things available or any, you know, Gumroad, Patreon, anything like that available. But, you know, I guess it's just it, case by case, depends on the parent, depends on the kid, depends on the desire to do it. Well, fingers crossed that the market actually exists and can be uh, utilized by uh, you or any of the people that are uh, watching, thinking about getting into the educational sphere of uh, art. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's kind of an interesting idea, like the idea of an art tutor, you know, like rather than like a high level like mentor that's trying to like guide you into some like, you know, serious like professional capacity, you know, for younger people who maybe haven't even developed that concept of their path in life yet, you know, but but still are interested in art, want to learn about art, you know, and having some kind of resource online. It's like I'd be surprised if there wasn't something like that already. But anyway, um, I think uh, it kind of relates to uh, what David was saying when we uh, talked with him. How uh, every year, fewer kids raise their hand when you ask who likes art. So if the parent is interested in their kid continuing to raise their hand every year, then a tutor would be one way to keep them interested. Whether it's over the course of the summer when they're away or during COVID season when they aren't in class with the uh, instructor one-on-one and it's all the kid that uh, the teacher's talking to the screens and the kid's not talking back through the screens. At least that's my understanding through uh, uh, Shane, who's uh, lamented his experience with COVID uh, remote learning. Yeah. I imagine there's that sort of uh, disconnect with the being able to get sort of that personal interaction just because there's that screen in between you and your students. Um, but that would be really interesting to see if, uh, if there was something like that available or, you know, even starting something like that um, for people that, that had that desire. And also now uh, homeschooling is taking off. So if the parents themselves know that they want their kids to have art in a background as a background, some some part of creativity as their uh, their curriculum, but they themselves are not learned. I think that's the correct pronunciation of that. <laughs> in how to uh, teach art or how to uh, have ki their kids at whatever developmental uh, level interact with art, then they might want to reach out for a professional for their input. Yeah, absolutely. That would, uh, I didn't even consider the home homeschooling aspect. So yeah, um, that would definitely be something that I consider doing, um, especially given COVID and, and all of this stuff. And, you know, 
there is that sort of like requirement in educational programs to, to have the art. So if you have somebody there that's willing to teach and teach it well, then, you know, I don't see why that wouldn't be something that's completely beneficial. Uh, I think at, the, now at this point, I have to name drop every guest that we've ever had on this, this uh, podcast, but Blake, our friend Blake, um, he now is now doing full-time illustration work for a homeschooling uh, company. So it might be worth reaching out to them to see if there's any uh, interest in having an art wing to their to their company, which would I'll be a landing spot for you, I guess, if this is something you're interested in. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I will have to reach out to Blake, actually. That would be awesome. I mean, I'm I'm curious to know more about that myself. So if you could do that for me as well, that would be that would be fantastic. Okay. No, yeah, uh, absolutely. <laughs> and we have some more questions coming up too about um, that thing that Moose mentioned. You know, where every year fewer and fewer hands go up when you ask who likes to draw. Um, but before that, uh, kind of recalling something earlier in our conversation about art school horror stories, and you know, and how you know we we all know, at, you know, at least a a few people that have art school horror stories to tell. Um, some even so bad that it drove them away from art for a while to begin with. Um, it's pretty obvious when we meet a bad teacher, <laughs> somebody that just makes our life shit. Oh, yes. What makes a good cough, teacher? Mrs. Hinkley, cough. <laughs> I don't, my my cough would go on for the rest of the show. Um, oh, good lord! So so no so if we know what makes a what what makes a bad teacher, that's sort of self evident. But what makes a good teacher? Oh lord! Uh, well, a good teacher is an active listener. Uh, first and foremost, they they really need to be able to listen to their students and and hear what their their needs and desires are. Um, they need to have strong uh, communication skills, uh, obviously. Um, you know, they need to be adaptable because, uh, hell, you know, one thing could happen and throw the whole day off and you need to be able to, you know, kind of kind of roll with the punches sometimes, especially like that's especially true with with uh, younger kids, uh, for sure. Uh, that's where largely like my experience has been. Um Empathy is going to be another uh, super important uh, aspect, needing to understand, um, you know, that where that kid's coming from, um, being patient. Oh, good Lord. Uh, patience is definitely going to be a huge uh, key to being a good teacher because I've seen so many teachers just kind of lose their minds on kids um, and they're tired. They're tired and, and overworked and underpaid, and, and I get it. Um, but that, that patience is always going to be necessary um, for your class, um, not only for yourself, but in helping them, um, I guess, just have a, a good learning environment, a good welcoming um, environment. And, and also, like, I think it's important to be, like, a lifelong learner. I touched on that just a little while ago. Um, being always willing to, to look at new methods and, and change and, and grow um, as, as the need arises, because sometimes things do change. And you have to be willing to, again, just 
adapt and learn and, and do something new. So. This is a related question, but it, there's, a, I think, a, a subtlety to it. And I know that it's personal, so I am just asking your personal um, feeling on this. What, but, like, what's the role of a teacher in your estimation? Oh, gosh. I mean, the, the role of the teacher is to facilitate the, the learning in the classroom. Um, and you facilitate that learning through all of those good qualities of, of being, you know, a good teacher so you know i don't know i don't really have a very in-depth answer for that one just uh just gotta be willing to to listen be patient and and adapt and you know is it the role of the teacher to uh keep the student on track like uh there was the oh, sure the cobra kai where, where they were trying to have uh, the um <laughs> guy use the old mr miyagi's teachings and uh the method got the student really uh, bored and uh, distracted and then they were, did not think they were learning anything. So they stormed off. It, so is the teacher's role to keep the student knowing that they're continuing to make progress or is that on the student to see their progress? Well, I think it's honestly, I think it's a little bit of, of both um, because there are, you know, unfortunately with teaching in high schools, you know, and, and just public schools in general, there are those milestones that they're going to want you uh, to have those kids get to. But ultimately, like, it's going to be important to just kind of assess where the kids are. And if the kids aren't learning something, there could be a whole wealth of, of reasons why they're not learning it. Um, maybe your teaching style doesn't suit them. Um Maybe they have some kind of learning disability. Maybe they're struggling at home. Maybe there could be any number of things. So that's where that, you know, that being a, a good active listener and, um, you know, that empathy and patience are going to come in. So you can kind of see, all right, if we're not on track, um, why? Why aren't we? What What's the deal here? Um, so... Or it could be a gap in the curriculum, maybe, where there's too little time being spent on something that ends up being critical. So you're building on something that they have a weak foundation in, and then it just falls apart after that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, there, there could be any number of reasons why a kid might be, quote unquote, falling behind or anything like that. So, you know, maybe they're not being challenged enough by the curriculum. And that's where, you know, your adaptability is going to come into, into play. Um, if your curriculum says, all right, let's have the kid draw rainbows and the kids already drawing rainbows and now they're acting out in class. All right. Well, how can we, um, you know, take this unit about rainbows and, you know, make it to where the child is, you know, more engaged uh, in that sort of lesson uh, so that they're not having those behavioral issues. That's just one of, of, Bitty things. So now you have the child drawing the unicorn vomiting out a rainbow. You know what? And if they do, that's that's freaking amazing. More power to them. I would love to see that in my classroom, actually. There you go. Your first lesson um, as an art teacher. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, unicorns barfing rainbows. Uh, I'm going to keep that in the, in the old lesson plan book. Well, um, excluding external conditions or medical conditions, you know, or, you know, uh, things that aren't necessarily within the student's control. It's like putting that aside. Are there things that go into making a good student? Oh, sure. Um, you know, it, 
I would say the same sorts of things that go into making a good teacher also go into, um, you know, making a good student, you know, we're, we're of course excluding, you know, other factors that would go into this um, sort of thing, but being a good listener um, and learning how to absolutely like hear people instead of just glossing over stuff uh, and having that willingness to always uh, learn and always um, take in something new uh, information, um, being patient uh, with the teacher because sometimes you don't get along uh, with the teacher's uh, teaching style and really you're there to learn. So what are we going to glean from the information that we're getting? And that all goes back to being a good uh, listener. So it seems like that in itself should be, maybe I'm just not remembering correctly, but I don't remember. Well, to the degree that there was any emphasis on how to be a good listener, you know, like, or like how to be a good student. Um, none of that sticks out of my mind as much as whatever sort of, you know, other kind of bullshit <laughs> they were like, they, they wanted me to regurgitate. Um, but it almost seems like that's like, and for teachers too, you know, that that like, there's like a lot of importance in teaching somebody how to listen, both teachers and students. Do you, do you experience any of that? Like in the, um, I know like you were saying earlier, it's a little bit early on for you, but um, do you have a sense of like that being part of a teacher's, a teacher's education in learning how to teach others, you know, that those are conversations that happen? Oh yeah. I mean, I mean, you talking about as far as like, teaching people how to be good listeners and how to be able to like get that information, get the most they can out of, out of whatever they're trying to learn. Um, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, part of that, at least in, in like my experience teaching so far, it's going to be just a reiteration of what your expectations are. Um, in the classroom and that does fall um, to the teacher to teach those kids, not only that they should listen, because how many times have you been told by an adult that you should do something, you have to do something and you're like, Oh no, screw you. I'm not yeah, going to, I'm not going to do that. You that know? doesn't work. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it doesn't work. So when we tell kids, all right, you should listen. Here's why you listen. Um, Here's what's going to happen if you do. Here's what's going to happen if you don't. And then putting those expectations into practice um, every day in your classroom is going to encourage kids to build those necessary skills um, that they need to develop, you know, good listening skills and whatnot. So every morning when I'm doing circle time with the kids, we go over our classroom rules. And one of our rules is use your listening ears and looking eyes. Okay. Well, why, <laughs> why should we do that? Um, well, because if we don't listen, we're going to miss out on something really cool. we got lots of fun, really nice things to do. Um, if you're not listening, you might miss, um, you know, whatever, any, any sort of important announcement, anything. So, you know, we tell them the why's, 
of, you know, these expectations. And then they're more willing to do these things and develop those skills. Um, you know, it helps build a really good foundation for later on in life. You mentioned drawing circle time and that made me think of like, well, the introduction um, for any tutorial on the fundamentals is like drawing circles. And they'll often start also by saying like how you should hold the pen or a pencil loosely and how you should draw from the uh, shoulder and the, uh, the elbow rather than the wrist. Um, is this something that's taught at the early levels? Because I don't remember getting this. And so I had developed a lot of bad habits along with my life and bad posture as a result. And I'm thinking it would be so much better to ingrain this in kids earlier rather than later, but I'm not sure if they would listen. Well, uh, again, like I, I don't necessarily remember too much of like, like posture and whatnot being taught like in art. Although I did, I did have that um, sort of thing like in college and whatnot, maybe not necessarily in high school. Um, but again, that's going to go back to, that's something, first of all, that's something that should be taught. Um, I guess developing good habits starts early. You have to start those things early. Um, you know, it's not to say you can't learn them later on in life, but you know, how many times have, has we have adults, you know, gone to learn something new and found it that much more difficult because, well, we're already set in our ways or, you know, um, so it's just going to go back to that teacher establishing those expectations and those ground rules and whatnot at the beginning so that you have those good habits uh, later on. So when we say art teacher, just like just those words, probably invokes like a whole range of images, memories for, for people. Uh, and there's a lot of places where those things are going to overlap. Um, and uh, a lot of places where that's going to invoke, a, you know, a lot of art teacher tropes and cliches from pop culture. What do you want your classroom experience to be like? Oh, Lord. Um, you can also I imagine. Just, I don't know. I in, want. Sorry to interrupt. You could also imagine this. No, like, it's OK. In a perfect world kind of scenario. You know what I mean? Like, what is your highest expectation? Whether it's you functionally feasible to get there for whatever reason never mind that <laughs> just like best case oh man best case i would just love for kids to to be able to come into an environment that's warm and inviting and fun and not so i don't know sterile looking and you know terrifying i want them to be able to come in there and go wow this is this is a place i can come and be safe um and actually learn something and have, have fun doing it. Even if my intention is never, ever, ever to do art while well, I'm here and I'm having fun and the teacher really gives, you know, well, really cares uh, about how I'm doing, regardless of whether I'm quote unquote good at art or not. Um, that really is like my ultimate goal as far as what I want that classroom environment to look like. And if that means I'm some kooky art teacher that, you know, has, fun and has tattoos and you know listens to crazy music while the kids are doing art then you know whatever if that's what makes them comfortable and and feel safe then okay cool you know when 
So you meant, you mentioned something in there that made me think of a, a question, you know, like whether their intention is to do art or not, um, like professionally or long-term or whatever. That made me think of, you know, like I, it's a, it's a big question. It's sort of unfair to ask this. So, so I don't, I'm not like expecting, um, you know, like groundbreaking whatever, but like, why is art important? Like why, you know, to it's, 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 it's barely hanging on as part of the curriculum in some schools because it isn't given importance. And, and I think our artists know whether they're able to maybe like, um, you know, verbalize it, you know, or convince other people or have like a, a, a conscious description of this themselves. Like we know it cause we live it. But when you're trying to convince other people, like why, why should other people care about art? Well, I mean, art is literally the foundation for so many things that people are involved with and love from movies and TV. And, and it's not even just that it's music and graphic design. And, and it's more than just your visual arts that hang in a, a gallery. It's, it's pretty much anything visually or, <clears throat> anything that you can listen to or anything like that. It's a, it's a, just a foundational thing. It should be as basic as, you know, and required as, as stuff like, like English and science and math, um, just because it, it goes into so many things. It's crucial. And when you don't have art and you don't have that sort of, you know, I wouldn't say necessarily like background, but like understanding why art is important and you don't have the arts available, then you lose all of those things. You lose the little nuance and stuff. You lose, you know, you got your music industry, you got movie industry, you got everything that is just based in this background and in, in art. So yeah, it's, it's super important. And I'd argue that it's one of the few uh, subjects that remain that are still taught that have any level of creativity in them. So creative thinking. So ha ha that leads to creative problem solving, which leads to innovation, which would pump out even the STEM field improvement. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we, at least in my classroom, we encourage the children to learn through play. And a lot of that play is uh, involved uh, surrounding like art related activities and just allowing them to freely explore because when we allow them to freely explore with art, then we start seeing other concepts start uh, taking shape and, and, you know, like their concept of math starts um, to get a little stronger and there's their concept of, you know, spelling or just, just really anything you can kind of incorporate into that uh, and letting the, the kids play and, and do art and, have fun and explore on their own so when you lose that foundation you're losing something really like crucial right there at the very beginning you know i'm uh, fairly ignorant on uh how uh education is in the rest of the world having been you know i was growing up exclusively in america uh my understanding is like in europe and scandinavian countries uh the uh education is more focused on play early on and that helps them with their development later to be able to do all fields, not just art, but art especially as well, because you know obviously they have the background now that uh, our students are more and more lacking because uh, the budget cuts going first to art. Um, 
So I'd be curious uh, how much more how much more advanced uh, education in the United States could be if we had more room for play, as you're suggesting in your classroom. Oh gosh, it could it could literally be like life changing. Uh, just this mind blowing, um, you know, change in the way that kids are taught and the way the kids are learned when they're just allowed to. And it's <clears throat> excuse me, it's not necessarily like a free-for-all. So when I say let them play, it's guided play, it's guided time. Um, but it's still allowing them to explore freely within the confines of whatever activity it is we're doing. Um, because then later on, you know, that helps them not be so, I don't know, just, I don't know, just help, it helps them have a, a bigger appreciation for whatever it is they're sitting down to learn. And I have had parents come up to me like years later after I've had their kids and they go, well, my kid still loves X, Y, Z subject because you taught them whatever, or you let them experiment with a, I don't know, a chessboard or, or whatever it is. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, th I think super important for, for play to be active play to be taking part, you know, in every lesson, whether it's math or whatever you know our math lesson last week all week was just about letting the kids practice playing games together and so the kids got to play Candyland all week in math um and and that's what they did and they had a blast doing it but they learned so much more than just playing Candyland they learned how to work together they learned how to count they learned the different colors on the cards you know there's so many lessons that can be taken from that it's not just them playing a game you know that reminds me of uh how I learned to type uh, I had like dedicated classes in elementary school for you know typing practice on the keyboard, and I was terrible at it. I was like, uh, I'll just let my mom type all my homework for me because you know that's the thought process of a kid. Um, and that summer, we went home and played StarCraft. And what do you do in StarCraft? You type. You talk to your uh, your uh, your uh, allies. And you have to type fast. So that's how I learned to type fast by playing a freaking video game. It had nothing like all the the, the time they in the world they gave me just to type out these things from copy this sheet into this uh document did nothing for me i was miserable and if it was up to me at that point i would never touch a keyboard again but because of uh, oh, play yeah. play let me do it and now i type for a living yeah absolutely like of course like there is some importance to rote memorization like you're gonna need to learn things and memorizing them practicing them over and over is important but if that's all you do then that's not fostering a love of of learning any subject regardless of whether it's art math or anything like that so you know the fact that you've got to experience that um you know through play and learn that typing through play this shows me that play is super crucial to a kid's development um you know even early on is there a way to uh, gamify art Oh gosh. I mean, I guess it's really just, just anything first and foremost, like with art, you know, you allow the, the free exploration of, you know, different uh, media. Um, you don't sit there and you tell the kids, well, you must use these pastels a certain way or whatever. Uh, only color within the lines. No, like you just let them be free to explore those things. Um, as far as like, gamifying it i mean sure i'm sure there's you know different ways and things that that you could 
do and make it fun. Um, like, okay, today we're going to learn, I don't know, we're going to learn about primary colors and we're going to play a little game in regards to, you know, how that's, that's going to work. Pictionary. Yeah. Cave, cave is saying Pictionary. That's another good thing. Um, absolutely. So there's, there's any number of ways that you could make art fun and not just this, oh God, now we have to draw this thing or whatever, you know? Also all the Jackbox game, Jackbox games that are basically Pictionary with different rules. Yeah, absolutely. But I was thinking about like whenever I have to tell uh, someone asks for advice on what the, how they should uh, learn the fundamentals, and I have to point out that drawing boxes is in perspective is one of the best ways to learn form, and that's a, the most dry, boring subject in the world for many people. And after five boxes, they're like, "Okay, I learned it. I don't need to draw this ever again." But that's not true. They still need to work on. It. So they well, give up. sure. How do you make drawing boxes fun oh lord um honestly <laughs> uh, right <laughs> drawing, now on the spot <laughs> right now on the spot okay um i mean there are gonna be so so that's going back to you know there that whole rote learning uh is going to be key building up that muscle memory and that's why those things are important but okay you've drawn a box now how are we going to put that into practice um so i guess all right, now you know how to draw a box. So how, what are we going to do with this box? We can go into perspective. We can go, okay, let's, let's draw a bunch of boxes and make buildings out of them or whatever. Let's, let's take that box and use it as that, that, you know, building block to create other things with it. And that's why we have those foundational things. So. Yeah. You, you kind of read my mind with like what I was thinking as far as like the gamification of drawing a box is like, okay, well, uh, what can you draw while you're drawing all of these boxes? How can you start orienting them and stacking them together to, you know, make different things. And, you know, that can be, you know, part of the game is like, you know, what are the different, um, structures that you can imagine and build just using a box or, or whatever. Um, and I, when you, when you, uh, also moves, when you asked, um, you know, how do you gamify art? I was kind of thinking that art has this sort of like built in cheat mode in that regard that it's sort of gamified from the outside already. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's like, it's because there's so much creative freedom within it. There's it's. Um, which can be a blessing and a curse too. Like there is like so much freedom and there is so much liberty that knowing where to start and what to, you know, like what, how to give yourself an orientation can be, can be difficult. And that seems like a, you know, a, a, a place where, you know, a, a teacher really, really comes in handy. Um, but that you know, reminds me of, a my, uh, like third grade uh, drawing assignment was involved in dinosaurs. They gave us a, a dinosaur that you know already drew, uh, outline already put in, and we just drew over top of it, right? So we decided I decided to put spikes on the tails or uh, horns on it or sharp teeth. So uh, giving the kids, if it, you know, you're talking about you know children, then giving them the starting point of something that they can build off of is one way. Then you can I don't know, put a competition to see who goes on the fridge. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. There's always that sort of like building block sort of idea, like, okay, we've learned how to draw this dinosaur. Now what are we going to do with it? We're going to put it in this sort of environment. We're going to, 
And I'm just going to color it with crayons. We're going to add, you know, different materials to it to make it sort of, you know, three-dimensional, a little more interesting, a little more tactile. And on top of that, when you're doing that sort of thing, you are encouraging the kids to utilize uh, different materials, um, think critically about how they want to use these things, um, you know, and when you make it fun like that, they don't really realize that they're actually like learning. So, you know, you're kind of tricking them into, into learning, but it's great. Yeah. Going back to, you know, what we were talking about before, you know, as far as like why, why art is important, you know, and um, I think all of these things that we're talking about is uh, uh, speaks directly to that, you know, all of these like creative uh, ways of, of thinking and, just thinking of ways to think creatively <laughs> requires this whole cycle of creativity in itself. But I don't know if I've ever thought about it in those explicit terms, you know, of um, artists knowing why art is important, you know, and, and, and well, I should say, and standing up for that as well, you know, like, like making the concerted effort to like whenever possible kind of like play an activist role um, you know, for the, you know, the benefit of our, of our peers to you know, make that, make that defense. And it sounds like you, you, Beth, you have that sort of in mind going into this. So that, that makes me excited and happy for the kids that you'll be teaching in the future, you know, that they'll get some of that, um, which kind of leads me to my next question, um, which was also something that we hinted at way early on. Um, you know, when we're all kids and we, when we're kids, we all love drawing, like every kid to one in one way or another, like loves to be creative. Maybe it's not like, I know with my son, it's not as much as he loves like drawing, but he loves like building things. Like he really loves like seeing three dimensional things and there's creativity in one way or the other. Um, and then that gets less and less as time goes by uh the creativity kind of goes down for a lot of us it stays put you know but yeah every year there's less and less hands that go up when somebody asks uh you know who here loves drawing um where do you where do you think that gets lost like why does that what what is it that starts tamping that down well i mean it's less and less uh, focus on play and having fun uh, as you go throughout school, um, you know, because right now in my preschool, pre-K environment, we learn through play every day. Um, the only time we really, like, have the kids sit down to do, like, a focused learning time is at the beginning of the day when I'm setting the expectations for the day and talking about what we're doing. Um so we really lose that focus on like just just having fun uh and letting kids learn through having these hand on hands-on experiences we go into this sort of like rote learning and you must memorize this and you must do and you must stay in the lines and there's so much of that getting you know getting older that it just kind of it it squelches that sort of creative side and and a lot of people not everybody of course um but there there certainly is a good deal of just loss getting older because we 
I think, I think adults have lost sight of that. And I think that's because, well, you know, we lost sight of it growing up, going through the school system and going through these, these motions of, all right, we're not kids anymore. We don't get to play anymore. Therefore, you know, like play is, is for, for little ones. No, we're growing up. We don't play anymore. And really, I think it's losing that mindset of a child of having that sort of willingness to just kind of let go and have fun and be free with that. That That's where we lose it. And we lose it. I don't know. Very early on in childhood too. It's really, it's, it's kind of sad, you know? Yeah. I, I, um, yeah, I'm personalizing this, but, uh, all this talk really. Uh, but I'm thinking back every year. I think I was thinking in school, Oh, that this is gonna be la- my last fun year of school a- after this is gonna be serious. And then as I was finishing college, I was like, Oh no, after I finish college, I won't be able to have fun anymore because I have to get a job and yeah. there's no fun after this point. My life is over at this point. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's that sort of like mindset that the fun is going to end the older you get you know, and that's really kind of, kind of sad. I remember being a kid thinking, you know, like in fifth grade, for instance, they would, they would always tell us, well, enjoy recess this year because it's the last year you're ever going to get recess, you know, but that's yet another way we learn how to play is by having recess and being able to just go out and have fun and not be so rigid. I'm not saying that there's not a place for that sort of uh, learning to take place, but when we lose that sort of fun uh, mentality, that sort of learning through play mentality, then you have those sorts of thoughts growing up. Like, like you were saying, Moose, like, Oh God, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to finish college and then my life is over. I got to work, 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 work until I die. And that's, you know, honestly, that's a really old, old mindset that I'd love to see people get out of, you know? Yeah. I love that idea of, well, forget loving to see people get out of that. Just get them out of it. <laughs> you're you're gonna yeah. have you're gonna have access to all of these young minds. Just uh, tell them to tell. You should tell them all to just drop out. Listen, um, no, <laughs> it is important to learn, but it's going to be important also. You know, the other thing is is teachers are crucial to helping kids foster love, a love of learning. And when you don't have teachers that love to teach, then you have miserable teachers that you're gonna always have kids that that just hate learning because you have miserable teachers. So, you know, of course, there's lots of um, things that go into making a good teacher. It's not just a teacher. It's not just a you have to have a teacher that has this desire to teach. You have to have support from, you know, your management, your administration and all that stuff too, because those things can certainly make miserable teachers too. Um, You know, but it starts with that foundation of, you know, teaching kids to have fun early on because then those kids, they look at the fun that they had with those teachers and they go, Oh, wow. I want to teach too. So it's really, you know, this whole world changing sort of idea to where if we're teaching kids to have fun and they remember the kind of fun that they had and then and in learning these things, then they also want to go teach. 
and teach other kids to do the things that they learned how to do. So then we have this, um, you know, the cyclical thing of kids going back, you know, as adults to learn how to be good teachers so that they can raise up other kids going back to learn how to be good teachers, you know? So I don't know, just, just starts really early. And I, I hate that, you know, I'm not saying that dropping out is a bad course of action. It's certainly valid um, for, for lots of people, but it also makes me kind of sad that people have felt the need to have to do that because they were failed somehow um, by the system. Um, so, yeah. No, that's yeah. In seriousness, I, I, it's that's to, that's so true. Um, like my high school experience, speaking as a as a dropout, um, my high school experience is exactly that. But there's nothing that I would have loved more than for that to have been a good experience because I love learning. Like I, I, I mean, it's my 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 passion and my desire to learn things didn't stop when I dropped out of high school or I, I didn't drop out of high school in order to be like, well, fuck learning things. It's like, cool. Now I have more time to read the books that I want to read. Um, and yeah, man, like that's, I would, I would love for that to be, uh, more in place, but I don't know that the, one of the most reprehensible terms I, I think I, I, that has ever been thought of is, is that silly quip those who can do and those who can't teach oh my god isn't that terrible it's like, i hate that so much <laughs> it's so fucked up it's like dude do you know how fucking hard it is to like teach yeah um, it's yeah. Uh, incredibly difficult to actually teach like when i started teaching i don't know crap about what i was doing and it took a long time to be able to figure out all right, what methods work? What, what doesn't, how should I behave when kids do X, Y, Z? You know, there's so many things that go into learning how to teach and being a good teacher. So the, mm, no, I hate that. I hate that saying so much. Yeah. It's, it's so bizarre. Um, And man, what a, what a job. Like if you're going to hate a job, like hating your teaching job just seems like so such a bummer like I, I there's a temptation for me to be like just quit like don't do that anymore <laughs> you know like yeah it no it's not gonna pay you enough for you to hate it that much so why do you keep doing it but i'm i mean i'm sure it's more complex than that oversimplification but i don't know that tempted nonetheless the takeaway i got from that phrase was uh the fact that uh, as far as the united states teacher pay is so much lower so if yeah if you have to take it, the, the, the connotation was if you taking the teaching job, it's uh, it was the thing you ha- had to take because you couldn't get the other work. But that still doesn't sound great because you still need teachers to be better than the uh, the people that are. It's basically just an argument for we need to pay teachers more, so that becomes the competitive. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, no, I mean, as far as like uh, paying teachers more and encouraging them to do all of these things, like, yeah, there's so many things that go into making a good teacher and teachers need to be knowledgeable in their fields. Otherwise, what the hell are you doing teaching if you're not knowledgeable in whatever it is you're teaching, you know? So, you know, and of course, there's there's so many things that go into 
you know, why teachers are unhappy too. Um, I, I would dare say lack of support uh, from administration um, and uh, low pay for all the stuff that we have to put up with. It, it wears on you when you have to deal with a soul suck of a job you know, speaking from very huge experience, like it just wears on you and it really kills you when you have this desire to teach, but yet all these other external factors are making it so that your desire is just going away. When I left teaching um, a few years ago, I thought for sure I was never going to teach again. Um, I thought for sure, and it wasn't because I hated teaching. It wasn't because I hated teaching. It was because I hated where I worked, and I hated the political nonsense that I had to deal with, and I hated the the little bit of pay that I got because I, I worked somewhere where they very much believed that you should teach on intrinsic value only, and I'm sorry, but intrinsic value doesn't, you know, pay the bills, doesn't put food on my table. So it's really sad that teachers are undervalued um, the way that they are for everything that they have to deal with, you know? I, a, a little bit of a tangent here in to, you know, a little bit deeper into the sort of the trials and tribulations of the teaching world. Um, is it just a one way street when it comes to, you know, administration versus teachers or is there, I know there's the teacher's union, which can exert a significant amount of, of influence, but that's, you can correct me what I have wrong here. I, my impression is that that's not necessarily always directed though towards the administrators that they work with in any given school. That's just like, you know, the, uh, the, the bureaucracy of government. Um, is there a, a, an influence that teachers can exert over administration like does it does that street go both ways um honestly i would say that it depends on where you're teaching because as a private school teacher i don't really get much say in anything um i can i can um affect my classroom directly but as far as like administrative stuff no i don't get i don't get say over that uh it's it's do as i say not as i do sort of mentality where i work so you know and i, I would dare say that like we don't have a, a teaching union or anything like that available for us but uh, so i couldn't really speak to how that that works for you know t places that do oh interesting I, here's my total ignorance i had this like assumption that teachers unions were ubiquitous like that they were mm -mm. oh interesting okay no i because i well and actually i i work for a franchise uh so that's that's another thing there's there's no union for that sort of thing we're basically at the whim of you know whoever's in charge you know okay okay fair enough well um I don't know. There's there's so many directions that that I could go, but I want to I want to get back to uh, what we were talking about earlier. You know, is um, the the creative spark that exists in all people, and then like kind of what happens to it later. Um, you want to teach high school kids 
And that's what I think sort of like where they're on that cusp of, you know, really, you know, with that's a big fork in the road for a lot of people, you know, as far as like, are they going to, you know, what are they going to retain? What are they going to lose as they keep plowing forward into adulthood? Um, being cool is becomes like very important. Um, and there isn't a recess <laughs> in high school, you know, there isn't a lot of just like free playing and stuff. So, I mean, do you have like ideas for that age group in particular of like how to, you know, reinvigorate that sense of play and reinvigorate that love of creativity? Honestly, I would really approach it the same way I approach it with three-year-olds um, and just letting the kids explore the materials. Okay, guys, we're going to learn about watercolors today. But before we actually get into the, the hows of doing the watercolors, here's the materials, here's the paper, have fun, explore. Um, you know, because then they're not so bound to these rigid rules and they get to see how these things function. We make it fun and all right, now we're going to learn how to, you know, how to watercolor. And then once we learn the hows, it's like learning how to draw that box. Now, how are we going to build on that um, and make that fun? Okay, so we have learned how to watercolor. And now we're going to apply that to such and such subject or whatever you want. Have fun. Go for it. You know, um, just letting the kids be free to explore and express themselves because as teenagers, that's going to be really, really important and uh, allowing them to have a place to express whatever's going on uh, inside because it's a pretty tumultuous time in life. So when you have to be rigid and stick to these rules and you're already dealing with all this, this stuff, you know, the last thing you want to do is go to an art class and have to stay within the lines you know? So just making art fun again, uh, and just kind of encouraging them to have that sort of childlike mentality when approaching art, uh, is going to be a really huge key and part of like my own teaching process, you know? Yeah. So, Go ahead. Uh, you mentioned, uh, the, the uh, play being important letting them explore but i'm thinking right now of all the tutorials that i found like either on gumroad or uh skillshare or even youtube they're all pretty cut and dry they're not as dry as draw a box all of them some of them are but i'm wondering um as adults now that we've already passed all this stuff and we're not kids anymore and our amount of play is often limited to the video games that we're in or the Dungeons and Dragons tables we're at. Uh, is there still value in play for adults to learn, or is it just oh, into the facts as quick as possible? No, absolutely. There's still value in play. Like it, it doesn't stop when you're in high school. It doesn't stop when you're in college. I'm talking about a lifelong childlike mentality in approaching these things and and picking these materials up and having that desire to to learn and explore and have fun even when you're 50 60 70 years old you know never um losing that desire to always learn something new so there's absolutely value in play there's value in structured activities too those things are important i'm not saying that they're not in no way but when you don't have fun doing these things 
then you got miserable people growing up, you know, that's why people hate math because it sucks. <laughs> you know, they haven't had a good teacher sit down with them and make that math fun. You know, it's been a bunch of rote learning and you must do this and not explaining like why these things work or, you know, making that fun or explaining the, the interconnectivity of certain numbers and whatnot. Like you just, you just lose all of that. So yeah, it's, it's uh, even as adults uh, outside of D and D or, you know, any other tabletop sort of games like video games or just going out and I don't know, taking a walk and drawing what you see or whatever, you know, going to museums and, and looking at stuff just because it's, it's beautiful to look at, you know? Um, so, yeah. Uh, that actually puts you in alignment, I think with uh forest Immel. I'm going to drop another previous guest because why not? Uh, we'll make this the entire, uh, theme of the show, just name as many prior guests as possible. But no, uh, he gets in some uh, arguments, I guess, or he comes with alternate point of views where uh, people are like pointing out how to learn and they give the uh, standard stuff of, you know, go to control paint or go to drawbox.com. And Forrest is more open and saying, draw what you like drawing. Do that. Because uh, that's what will make you stick to with it more. That's the short. Yeah, answer. absolutely. You start drawing something you don't want to draw, then you know. No wonder you're bored with that. You know, I draw fantasy art and pretty people because that's what I like to draw. You know, it makes me happy. So, you draw whatever you want. Draw whatever makes you makes you feel good and or or doesn't make you feel good. Because sometimes it's about exercising those demons that you got inside of you. You know, and sometimes it's not all pretty fun and games, but it's the thing that you know you've chosen to do because it, it makes the art feel worthwhile. So, you know, it's so much more than foundational stuff, which is important. But again, like if you're losing that sense of, of wonder and play, then you're going to grow up not loving that stuff at all. So it sounds like there's actually a niche open for like uh, how to learn to draw and have fun while doing it. Uh, the closest I can think of is Jazza, but he's just entertainment at this point where he, he's drawing upside down or whatever. So. Yeah. yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah, you you have to be both, like being an entertainer, but then also being you know structured, and that's that can be hard to to do. It's it's very easy, I think, to just slide into one or the other. I'm interested to yeah. Go ahead. Did you? No, no, no. I was just agreeing with you. Um. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on on this. I don't know if this is something that happens to other people or if it's just me. Um, I, there's this tendency, in my experience, there's this tendency, well, I've experienced it from other people and I've sensed it in myself, this temptation to want to make people that you're teaching become just little photocopies of yourself. <laughs> Just because you know yeah. that that works, you know, it's like you, the, you, there's this thing that you have and that you, you understand the power of it. You've seen it like work for yourself or whatever. So you're just like, you do this. And, oh, if you just do this, this is how it's going to be. But that's it, not necessarily always the best way uh, to do it. But just that, that firsthand experience has shown me how tempting that can be. It's given me a little bit more sympathy for people, you know, that kind of succumb to that a little bit more and it's not a good thing it's not an excuse but i at least like understand it have, 
like in your teaching experience or like looking forward into becoming a teacher in the future, do, do you have any sense of that? Of people making me want to like fit into this sort of little cookie cutter sort of thing? Or yeah, or more, yes, but also like as a teacher, like being on the teaching end of it, like a sense of like a, you know, a temptation to just sort of like get people to kind of fit into lockstep with the thing that you know that works or the thing that you think is going to work best. Mm, there is a temptation to do that, but ultimately like it's going to be important as a teacher to, all right, here's a technique that I know works. I would like you to try it, but if you also find something else that works for you, that's better do that. Because again, it all goes back to, you know, what works for me is not necessarily going to work for you. If it does work for you, great. And if it doesn't, all right, how can we figure out a way to make it work for you? You know? Um, so there definitely is that temptation there because you know what works, you know, but again, it, it definitely, you have to be willing to be adaptable, um, to listen. If the kid is telling you, Hey, this isn't working for me. All right, cool. Well, what is working for you? Can you show me? Can you demonstrate that to me? Um, and that's going to help open a dialogue with you and, and your students as well, um, seeing why they think that works for them. And maybe it does work for them. Um, it's not my job as a teacher to make these little photocopies of me because I don't want that. Um, I want them to be their own people and figure stuff out on their own. And, you know, and that's, that's my job to facilitate them into being able to figure this stuff out on their own. Cause I'm not always going to be there, you know? So yeah, but the def definitely the temptation is there all the time. Like, I know this works. Why aren't you doing this thing? Um, and that, that, God, that goes into anything, not just, just art, you know, just, just any sort of like behavioral issues or, or anything like that. Like this always works for this child. Well, realizing that it always works for one child doesn't mean it's going to work for the next child, you know? So it's, it's really anything. Uh, I'm curious, how much of it is in your hands to uh, customize the curriculum or the individual lesson plans? Is that something that's handed to you and then you try to go on script or is this something that you're given at the start of the year and told to make it work somehow, however you can fit it in? Uh, so we do have a um, curriculum that's written out for us. Um, but their thing has always been, um, you can add to the curriculum as much as you want, but you never take away from it. You have to do the basic of, of what's there. Um, but it's always more fun to, to build on stuff, you know, like just, just bring stuff in. Like one week we were talking about, you know, rocks and minerals. So guess what? I got a whole bunch of at home, bunch of rocks and crystals. And so I brought that stuff in for the kids to look at and they loved it. And it helps to kind of reinforce those ideas, you know, um, just kind of building on those little foundations. So yeah, I'm like, and that's not always the case. The, the curriculum is written out for us. The lesson plans are written out for us uh, where I work. Um, but I'm always adding to that um, with stuff that I know. Um, and, and even if I don't know it, I'm like, okay, how can we make this a little more uh, fun for them, you know, in, in any way? 
um, that we can. We were, well, I mentioned earlier uh, that with uh, artists that want to make tutorials, they get a paralysis analysis. How do you go about uh, if you were to add to a, uh, a lesson plan or have to mix something up? How do you not get overwhelmed with the amount of, uh, I don't know, uh, perfection that you have to feel you have to meet, that gold standard or whatever? Mm, I just kind of do whatever feels good to me honestly like if it's something that again that, that I know about then then great I'm gonna bring that in um and if it's not then I'm just gonna go do a little research and I as far as the curriculum goes it's not really like a thing I feel an issue with being like overwhelmed you know um I don't know it just adding things in where I see a place to add them in, um, you know, making it a little more fun for them. So it's like not being too precious with your art. You are just yeah. put something out there, see how it works. If it doesn't work, then you change it on the fly. That's sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, pretty much. It's, it goes back to that whole being uh, adaptable uh, sort of thing. And if you're not getting direct feedback from the students while you're making the tutorial, and you just, uh, read it yourself and figure it, what, what's going to work, what's not going to work, or do you just uh, put it out to the kids and then on the fly make the adjustment? Uh, it's honestly, it's typically like on the fly. Like I bring something and like, okay, let's see if this works. And, you know, it all goes back to like your enthusiasm too, because if your teacher is enthusiastic about something then the kids are going to be more likely to, to be enthusiastic about whatever it is you're doing. So if you're like, all right, guys, we're going to learn about, you know, just, just being bored and stuff. Of course, they're not going to, you know, want to engage in that activity. You know, you come in with, I don't know, there was one day I came in with, I knew the kids were going to have to count with dice one day. And I have this, like, I have like three pounds of D and D dice. Uh, at home so I brought D&D &D dice to, to work one day and the kids love those things <laughs> like love them but you know I, I knew I knew that that was going to be fun for them because like that would have been fun for me if somebody brought these pretty little you know colorful dice and they're like "Ooh, what is what is this well, okay guys we're going to learn how to count today but we're going to use these really fun dice right here not regular dice so you know it was my own enthusiasm about what it was I was bringing in uh, that helped them want to do the thing and be excited about doing the thing. So that's going to be a huge key uh, as well is your own excitement about the stuff. And then in high school, they, they get to build their own dice towers. Yeah, exactly. Like they get to, you know, they remember that foundation that they had way back when and now they get to apply that like oh i remember back in pre-k when we did blah 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 and now i get to do it here something new and different and exciting so now they still have that foundation so go going looking forward into like art teaching art um i mean is there even like a way to standardize curriculum for for art teachers, it seems like as an art teacher, you would be immune to a lot of the other, some of the other pressures that like a math teacher is going to get. Like, I mean, do you have to worry about standardized testing and whatnot? I'm sure a lot of that has to do with what school you're at, you know, or what type of school district you're in. But yeah, art teaching in particular. Um, I honestly, I couldn't tell you as far as that goes. Um, but 
I think there is a, a sort of place for, you know, that like different things and, and whatnot that they're supposed to learn. Like as far as standardized testing goes, I don't know if that's something that you have to worry about with art in high school, but it wouldn't surprise me if they made it so that these art teachers had to administer these standardized tests because I live in a great state for that sort of thing, you know? So, um, but yeah. Um, well, aside from that temptation that we were talking about before, uh, you know, as far as like, uh, of avoiding trying to just impose your will on kids or making them little photocopies of yourself. Um, my, I would imagine a huge difficulty would be in trying to assess each student's temperament, uh, and what they respond to. And then being to, able to make those adjustments on the fly, you know, for like how to engage them and, and get them excited. Um, I mean, do you do you have a methodology for approaching that, or is it more more intuitive, or even uh, the the, um, the dreaded word talent? Is that a talent? <laughs> I think uh, there there is some sort of like uh, intuition proclivity towards like having a talent towards these things and assessing, you know, these kids temperaments and what they respond to and whatnot. And it's going to be like individual and you're not going to know like immediately. So again, it's going to be going back to those hallmark things of what makes a good teacher being willing to have all of those aspects and then look at each student and go, okay, what works for this student doesn't necessarily work for this student. So how are we going to change that up a little bit? Um, and so, yeah, I would, I would definitely say it's for me, at least a little more intuitive because you have to kind of learn your students and, and see where they're at, what they know, what they, how they behave uh, with, with different things. So imagining from the student side again, um, what, would you have advice or wisdom for students, you know, if they're of an age to be able to kind of think of these things abstractly, um, you know, advice for making their experience the best that it can be? Um, honestly, as far as like students go, I would, I would just say, go into it with an open mind. Um, be willing to see what it is that you're supposed to learn, be willing to adapt, be willing to listen, um, and be willing to have fun with it. If it's something that is not fun, you know, also be willing to speak up about it if you're having trouble with something, you know, um, because the teacher's job is to facilitate this sort of learning. And if you're not learning, then not being teaching these kids to not be afraid uh, to speak up and encouraging them to speak up when something isn't suiting their needs. And, you know, I'm wanting to teach in high school. So they're going to, they're at an age where they, they can do that. Um, and I want it always to be a sort of environment where if they're not learning something, if something's not working for them, I want them to be comfortable enough with me be safe enough with me to go, all right, Ms. Johnson, why, 
why isn't this working? I, I need help with this. What can, what can we do? You know? Um, so, yeah. Yeah. That makes me excited to hear you say that it's like, uh, teaching them to be an advocate for themselves. Something that, uh, high school kids, I don't think get enough of that's like, can be kind of torturous sometimes, you know, as a high school student, as I remember to sort of feel like you're alone, you know, like, like you have, you, and I don't mean like amongst your, your peer group, you have friends, but you're all kind of like bitching and moaning about the same thing. And you have a sense of powerlessness that you have. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's, I think within that though, there is the, um, the call to action, you know? So if you're, if you're a student, you know, especially if you're a younger person, yeah, like learn what it means to be an activist for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And really that's going to go back all the way to the beginning of when they started going to school and even, even beforehand and teaching kids to, to speak up when something is not right, you know, because the earlier you start with that stuff, the more likely they're going to want to do that and be able to do that, not be afraid to do that, you know, when something is, is amiss, you know? So now yeah, super, it's going to be super important for kids to have that, but it's going to be super important for the adults in their lives to teach them to do that because a lot of adults don't teach them to do that. A lot of adults have that very much have that mentality of do as I say, not as I do and don't question and don't ask these things and don't, you know, don't disobey. Well, okay, but that doesn't teach the kid anything. It just teach them to, teaches them to be this sort of like mindless little automaton. Like it doesn't it doesn't help at all. Teach your kids to speak up for themselves. You know, whether they're your own kids or if you're a teacher, teach your students to speak up for themselves. You know, and uh, and teaching kids art or being an art teacher. That, that's even I, I almost, like doubly important, you know, because like artists, <laughs> you know, as a young person, as a student, that's like that's one thing. But as an artist, like learning to stand up for yourself is like that's a whole other ball game as well. That is, uh, is, is vital. No one. Oh, yeah. Know, yeah. I mean, absolutely. Like how many times have we as artists like we had to stand up for ourselves in regards to, I don't know, our pricing, for instance, how many times have we had people come to us and be like, Oh no, your prices are too expensive. You need to do this for cheaper, or I can go somewhere else and get this for way cheaper. And it's always in an attempt to make you like lower your prices or feel bad about why your prices are set this way. Um, you know, it, it translates to so many things as an artist and, and, you know, being able to stand up for yourself and set those boundaries is going to be, ridiculously important for later on, especially if you want to be um, in the art field and learning to like value yourself and your work, you know? So if a student is faced with negative experiences in their, their school, you know, especially, you know, thinking of you know kids in, in an art school or, or wanting to study art, you know, maybe they encounter a, a bad teacher or they're in a bad school or they and they don't necessarily have the option of just like you know leaving or picking a different school or a different teacher 
would you have any words or advice for how they can process that or how they can um, you know push through it and uh, hopefully avoid the long-term negative side effects of an experience like that i would say it just kind of goes back to being willing to speak up for yourself if you're having those negative experiences you know but it's also going to depend on you know the adults in their lives teaching them to have this sort of um i hesitate to call it bravery although it is this sort of brave thing to speak up for for oneself if they're they're having these sort of issues but you know just just having this sort of willingness to like advocate for yourself you know not being afraid to to step up and be like okay no this isn't working it's not right this isn't you know conducive to any sort of good learning or you know anything like that yeah that makes sense so we've kind of talked about this in a lot of slightly different ways um i would like to ask this question in more of like a summarizing sort of way or give you the opportunity to summarize it in a package. Um, what is it that you want to add to the world of teaching art above and beyond? Like, well, why do you want to be an art teacher? <laughs> what is it that you feel like you want to add to it? Something that you can bring to it? I don't know. I just want people to not hate going to art classes. I really just want that. I really want to, I really want kids to come to my class and legitimately want to be there, not necessarily because of me, but because they love what they're about to do because it kills me. Every time I hear one of our friends, people that we know very frequently, you know, saying that they've had horrible experiences in art school and just any other like classroom sort of environment it kind of kills me to know that people have had you know these experiences so i don't ever want to be that teacher that people remember 20 years down the line of being the shitty teacher you know the the teacher that made them feel so small and so unloved and not listened to like I could I could name all the teachers that that did that sort of thing to me you know I can name all the teachers that tore up artwork in front of my face and threw it away um you know and didn't have my best interests at heart um you know weren't willing to listen weren't willing to be empathetic I don't ever want to be that teacher I don't want to be that am I going to fail sometimes sure I'm going to fail you know but failure is the greatest teacher though you know you learn from your mistakes and if i can learn what not to do from stuff then i learn how to be a better better teacher for these kids and an advocate for them um and helping them want to be there and want to learn even if they never do anything ever again with art that's fine my job is not necessarily to make them want to do art for the rest of their lives because they, they have to be there. They have to be. So while they have to be there, my job is going to be making them not hate being there, you know, because they have to be. And a lot of times they know they have to be. Um, and that was very much um, my own mindset. Um, 
you know, in high school going into this art class, like, oh God, I don't want to go to art class because I don't want somebody teaching me how to, you know, telling me how to do art when I already know how to do art. Well, I got there and I figured out, well, I didn't know everything, you know, and that's the beauty of going to school and learning things is you don't know everything. And even in college, like I went into it going, yeah, I'm hot shit. I know, you know, <laughs> I know this stuff. I know this stuff. And then I had a teacher tell me, uh, this is my drawing teacher uh, in, uh, in college. And he's like, oh, yeah, let me see your portfolio. And he took a look at my portfolio. And he says, yeah, your work's good, but it's boring. And right. instead of... Like, at first, you're like, oh, my God, your teacher just said your work is boring. Um, but instead of getting offended at that, I was like, okay, what do you mean? And then that's when I learned about line variation. And that's when I learned about all these different things that I had no idea about because, well, I'm sitting here thinking that I'm hot stuff, you know, not realizing, well, okay, if we have some line variation, then we have the ability to throw shapes back in space and bring them forward. And, you know, all these other elements that I never considered before, because I, I wasn't open to, to that sort of idea. Um, so yeah, never want to be that teacher. I never want to be that teacher. And I always want kids to be able to come to me and be like, you know what? Um, you know, feel like, like comfortable enough to come to me if I have done something uh, inadvertently that has upset them. You know, I always want that environment to be safe for them. So as a teacher, do you have to do the poop sandwich type thing where you uh, give a compliment? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the, we call that the, the, well, yeah, the poop sandwich. Uh, I have a less nice term for it, but you know, um, you know, you always start off with a, you know what, this is really good. And you, you pick a specific aspect of it you don't just say good job well what have what have they done a good job on you know you pick a aspect of that drawing that is good or that you like um and this is really like important especially like with three and four year olds because a lot of time they bring me scribble artwork and they're like miss johnson look what i've drawn i've drawn you know a snowman in the rate in this you know in a car doing blah 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 and it doesn't look like anything so Instead of saying, well, you know, good job, you say, all right, this is really great. Um, you know, how you've used these shapes to create, you know, the snowman. Um, maybe try to go and utilize some more colors and see what else you can make uh, for your amazing drawing. And, and you know, do it that way. And, and that can even translate later on, you know, to high school kids. Um, Cause they're going to be really proud of their stuff and it's going to be real. It's really tempting for people to go, well, no, this isn't good because art is very subjective and what's good to me is not going to be good to the next person. And what's not good might be good to someone else, you know? So it's not my job to tell them whether or not their art is good. Um, what I'm looking at is technique, um, the understanding of the, the media, um, you know, just, utilizing these things to create some kind of cohesive piece um and how can i like encourage them to talk about that and yeah the poop sandwich is one of those ways that we can encourage them to to grow uh and whatnot uh, what you were saying reminded me of a tweet by justin donaldson he has a um a young family so he's little kids that you know will do the scribble drawings that don't actually mean anything that are you know mean something to them but they don't mean anything to anybody that's watching them 
So instead of trying to guess what it is, he suggested saying something to the effect of, well, can you tell me more about it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, that's one of the things that I do every single day. They bring me drawings that I don't know the first thing of, of what it is. And they have in their mind what it is. And they are expecting you to see that. <laughs> so, you know, when you don't see that and you go, oh, I really like your, your drawing. Well, do you like my unicorn? You're like, yeah, I like your unicorn. Well, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't look like a unicorn at all. It looks like a bunch of scribble scrabble on the paper. So instead of saying, you know, Oh, I really like your drawing. Oh, can you tell me about this is something that I use every day. And it's so important. And it's going to be so important for like later on, even in high school, like, Hey, can you tell me about this? What was your thoughts in, in making this? You can definitely build on that because they're a lot older and they can, you know, articulate uh, more things a lot, a lot better. Yeah. That ability to give good feedback is an art form in itself and definitely worth uh teaching <laughs> how to give and how to receive it as well like re receiving feedback is um is a lesson man because yeah some people just they they don't do it very well <laughs> no they really don't um well aside from you know the whole your whole professional life i, I would as we kind of come into the closing, I'd like to talk a little bit about, you know, some of the, your, your personal creative outlets, um, you know, of which you, you have a few, um, you don't have to go into like super deep detail, but I, I wonder, you know, is, is it, is it teaching from here on out? Is that your thing? Or, you know, do you foresee like other projects and goals and achievements in the future? Oh, Lord, there's so many things on the table right now. Um, teaching is definitely one of many things. And I don't necessarily want to teach for forever. Um, and maybe, maybe I won't end up teaching in high school, you know, maybe I'll find some other outlet to, to teach. Um, but as far as like projects and stuff go, you know, there's, there's books and stories that I've always got my hands in um, working with uh, folks to to write new things and build new worlds and, and stories and whatnot. Uh, there is a children's book um, that I have written. Um, and, you know, once, once things get settled here, you know, in life, that's really one thing I'm going to be knuckling down and, and focusing on is getting, getting that together. Uh, Cause that's always been something that I've wanted to do. Um, as far as like other goals and projects, there's, there's always something I've got my hands in. There's lists of things that I want to do. There's so many things. Um, but I think first and foremost, probably going to be getting that children's book done because that's, it's written. It just needs illustrating and done. Um, you know, and there's other worlds and stories that, that I've got my, my hands in too. So we'll just, we'll just see. So. That's super cool. I don't know if I knew that, that you had a, a children's book like oh yeah ready to go. yeah is this is this uh, recent or how long has this been sitting around oh it's been a, a little minute um i've always or, wanted to write the book but uh let's see i wrote it when did i write it the year before last is, is when i when i actually i didn't write it in 2020 2019 is when i wrote it it's about a little orc girl because i i thought you know there's no children's books about little orcs uh and especially not little little orc girls that that want to be 
nice. <laughs> and so um, that was the whole mindset to that. Uh, that's how Nalagar the Nice was born. Um, about this little, yeah, Kat knows all about Nalagar. Um, she's uh, it's just a little orc girl that wants to be nice. And that's all she wants to do until her village gets attacked. <laughs> you know, and it'll be something obviously like, like, child age appropriate and whatnot but uh you know just realizing throughout the course of the story that she can be uh nice and still fierce and defend her family um while being nice uh was just a sort of uh, fun idea that i had uh, and she's adorable uh too really so um there's that idea there's like a a death deities project that i've had my hands into all the research is done on on that and just a series of um illustrations of like lesser known and more popularly known uh world deities and kind of like utilizing that project to see how like different cultures approach death um and whatnot. Um, and that kind of came about when my grandmother passed away uh, here a couple of years ago. Like, how do we process death? And, and you know, that was, that's just, like I said, one of many, many ideas. Yeah, I actually did know about the little girl character, uh, that little orc, orc girl character, but I, I, I didn't know or, or it flew by me, flew by me that there was a a, a book that was going to happen too. And that's so cool. Oh, yeah. I, there, there's something about writing kids books that I'm, I, I'm so envious of. And, uh, I, I would love to add that to my project list at some point in the future as well. It just seems like such a cool thing to know that like little kids are reading something that, that you created. Like, again, it kind of goes back to that, like influencing the minds of the young people. I don't know if it's just like ego <laughs> or, or what, or maybe that's okay. You know, like maybe it's all right to feel a lot of self satisfaction and pat myself on the back for like, yeah, yeah, I'm putting something. You know, in. yeah. There's nothing wrong with like being happy that you were able to like influence a kid into doing something that they wanted to do that they loved, you know, or, or just you were able to help them. It's it's like um, that whole mentality of like not congratulating yourself for doing a good job on your art because it's so like prideful or whatever, when we really should congratulate ourselves when something is, is, you know, going well, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've been on stream and I'm like, you know, I make the most ridiculous noises when, you know, when I figure out something or something's going really cool. And then I instantly stop and apologize. And like everybody in the chat's like, stop apologizing for your happiness. So if it's something that's made you happy, um, you know, and, and you're doing good at it and you like it, then there's no, it's not bad to say, you know what? I did that. I helped the kid do that. You know, I feel like I need to slide in here and, uh, pass along some suggestions that we've gotten for Joby that now that they're on the topic of, uh, of, uh, uh -oh. stories, uh, we've had several people suggest that you read bedtime stories to the kids and put videos Please. on that on YouTube or something. <laughs> so like Joby reads, and then you can also throw in your little philosophy in there. So you can feel like you're making an impact on your life. Uh, good night moon. And the moon is, it's in space. It's very far away, but it's closer than you might think. And by the way, also the moon is made of cheese, by the way, back to the story now. Oh my God. <laughs> Just, yeah. yeah, that's no, that's a really great idea. Um, uh, you're hired. 
write, <laughs> write me up no, some scenarios. And no, this is all you. You write. You write up the. Uh, all you have to do is read up Good Night Moon, and then you throw in your tangents as you go. And that, now it's uh, not copyrighted because you're going off script. Yeah, oh, see, so this, I'm. Oh, I'm reading a... books that are, have already been mm-hmm. written. Oh, mm-hmm. Okay. If I was writing my own shit and I had to do that, then no. It's own. <laughs> no, but see, that's, that's again, Moose, that's a really important thing you kind of touched on there because that's, again, how you um, make those lessons fun and draw more things into the learning other than, all right, we're reading this book about Goodnight Moon. Okay, all right. This book is about the moon. Let's learn about the moon and take that chance to, like, scaffold and build on these ideas like one on top of the other until we've you know gotten on this crazy big tangent about space and stardust and how we're all you know from from there so i don't know you this is actually like not to hijack uh your <laughs> interview beth but this has actually just got me kind of hyped up because i think about this book that actually i think we gave it away because i was getting so frustrated with it it's the it's the story of the little red hen and if anybody has read that, it's like the little red hen asks all these people to help her do all of these various stages of baking bread and no one wants her to and wants to help her. So then when she actually like does it herself, she's like, hey, who wants to help me eat it? And then everybody wants to help. And she's like, no, I'm going to eat it myself because nobody helped. And as I'm reading the book, I'm thinking along the way, it's like, well, all these like other people, they were doing other shit. They were doing their job. Like, why were you trying to like siphon all of this energy from them to help you bake bread you did fine by yourself and i I, it's like okay yeah you're right now i'm gonna i want to read this as a a a youtube story and be like here's why this book is communist propaganda oh my god jody (laughs) the cow cannot actually jump over the moon because it doesn't have the hind leg strength to accelerate and break earth's gravity there's no gravity gravity's fake moose we know this in other words, I'm just ruining the fun. That's uh, that's what's going to happen. Is I'm going to make all of these yep. like great kid stories, <laughs> not fun yeah. It's going to be called jo- Joby ruins everything. Coming back to to you, Beth. Though, um, where would you like people to go if they wanted to find out more about you and the work that you do? Where should we send them? Oh, they can go to my website. Uh, that's daydreamsanddragonwings.com. I think there's a link here in the chat or whatever. It's kind of a long website. Um, they can also go to my Instagram. Um, they can go, let's see, that's daydreams underscore n underscore dragonwings <laughs> at Instagram. Uh, they can go to my Twitter. They can go pretty much any social media place except for Facebook. We don't do the old Facebook anymore. Um, and just kind of see what I'm doing. I'm, I'm posting stuff pretty regularly. They can even find me on TikTok. Um, posting uh, the uh, the time lapse videos from from Procreate uh, and everything that I do there. So, yeah, short, <laughs> shorten it. Yeah, that's that's the thing. There's going to be some name changes here coming up soon, anyway. So you know that's that's in the in the old uh, to do list. Um, but yeah, definitely my website. Um, you can go to and see a portfolio of my work, and you know if you're interested in commissions, all that other stuff. So, alternatively. Uh, just in time for him Uh-oh. to drop off. Well, that, that gives me the opportunity to observe that being on TikTok is a, probably a great way to stay fresh <laughs> and stay in the mind of, oh, of yeah. kids and what's, uh, what's motivating and stimulating younger audiences. 
Oh yeah, the the old TikTok is uh, it's it's fun. It's a new platform, and it's it's just kind of fun to go put your put your time lapse stuff on there and throw a little music on, and it's it's really easy. There's not really any crazy thinking to it. You just put the videos on and see how it goes. What were you gonna say before you disappeared, Miss? I was just gonna say it was a joke, and the timing is all messed up now. But anyway, I was gonna suggest extending the uh, the length of the, the username, so it could be daydreams or night dreams, and or possibly oh dragon wings if <laughs> you would allow it. Dot com. Listen, so my my Twitch name used to actually be daydreams and dragon wings, and then I got griped at for that man too dang long. So that's why we're at that day dragon now. Um, but yeah. Well, people don't know that they can tab complete usernames. No, no, I know. I tried to tell them that. Uh, we're looking at individual, uh, certain people we won't call out here today, but yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, well, uh, Moose, unless you had anything that you wanted to follow up with. No, I think I uh, shot out all my questions as we went. Awesome. Then that brings us to our trademark final question. Aside from work and personal projects, Beth, what is one thing in the world that you're excited about? Oh, vaccines. Get your vaccines, people, so that we can get back to normal. I'm so excited about that. Like, just the idea of, of being able to, like, be done with all this COVID nonsense is just, it's just great. It's just uh, great. I have to uh, be Debbie Downer on that. Uh, some states are on projection, not on projection are project some states are projected not to reach herd immunity because they don't not enough of the population wants the vaccine <sighs> grown get your vaccine people if you want or you know don't even do not even if you want just get the dang vaccine you don't want covid trust me i've had covid it sucks you don't want it get the vaccine and uh convince your friends to get the vaccine and mm -hmm. their and maybe their parents maybe that's the more uh applicable or, uh, target audience for this i don't know yeah, get your uh, get your five G chips uh, in there, kiddos. It's really great. Your reception's great. Uh, mine mine's good. I'm I'm gonna avoid all of the rants <laughs> that, <laughs> that could happen on states not reaching herd immunity because we want to end on a happy note. Thank you so much, Beth. Uh, it has been wonderful to talk to you. I could not be more excited about knowing that someone like you is going to be in the world. Uh, teaching people art, teaching young kids art. And I think that that is just a net gain for the world at large. So thank you for your time. Oh, thank you. Thank you for your service. And I will wave goodbye. And